Hi, I'm Michael Cashew. And I'm Adi Cashew, and you're listening to The WAG Podcast. This podcast is about health, wellness, and personal development. Each episode is a short conversation between Adi and I on a single topic with actionable steps. We cover everything from food, mindset, fitness, and relationships. We started WAG because of the way health and fitness changed our lives, so we hope to share a tool or two that helps you along your way. Welcome to the WAG Podcast. This is your host, Michael Cashew, and this is the third and final installment of our special little series that we're doing. Our intention with this series is to spread positive messages during a time where there is so much negativity going on. And to do that, we have interviewed, I've interviewed three WAG members. And today I'm joined on the show by a WAG member named Daryl. Daryl got COVID and was inches from death. He was put into a medically induced coma and intubated for, I believe he said six days. And he just has a super moving and inspiring story. So in this episode, he shares his entire story. He shares how that has shifted his perspective on life, uh, some insights that he's had about his own life and the world. And I asked him a question at the end, if you could pass on one lesson or piece of wisdom that you've learned through all of this, what would that be? So this one, this one was a real pleasure for me to do uh, because I've, I've gotten to know Daryl over the last couple of weeks, and, uh, but I haven't heard the full story. So it was great to hear the, the full story from the man himself. I hope you enjoy. Without further ado, please help me welcome Daryl. Hey, how are you, Michael? Good to be on here today. Yeah, dude. It's such a pleasure, man. Uh, you have such an inspiring story, and I'm so excited for the rest of our members and for uh, you know regular listeners of this podcast to just get to hear it and feel the experience that you went through. It's so powerful. Great, great. I'd love to tell it. So before we get into that, um, just give us a little bit of background. Who are you? Where are you from? Who do you live with? What do you do for a living? Okay. Um, my name is Daryl Chahone. Um, 47 year old, uh, I call it a CrossFit competitive athlete or trying to be, um, I live at home with my wife and my youngest son. So I have two boys, one who's 23 and one who's 21, the 21 year old lives with us at home. And my wife and I have been married now 24 years going on 25 years this year. Congratulations. Um, That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of work and it's, uh, it's pretty lucky to be with her still this, this amount of time, but, um, I own a hardwood sawmill that's an hour and a half south of me uh, in the country in Millersburg, Ohio. I actually have 25 Amish employees and two non-Amish employees. Really? Oh, yeah, man, that yeah. could be a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I love the Amish. The Amish. I'm fascinated oh, by them. One of the best workforces I've ever had. Wow, um, cool. I mean, there's believe me, there's intricacies that have to be dealt with, but no, great workforce and great people. Great people. But... um. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of who I am. Somebody who's been pushing and driving and striving. I've, you know, I've owned the mill for eight years. You know, I've been married for 24. We had our kids when we were really young, like literally a year and a half after we got married, the first one came along and, you know, we've just kind of driven along, you know, lived started off living in a, in a one bedroom apartment with a mattress on the floor and that's all we owned. And, you know, here we are today in, in a nice house, you know, not a, not an extravagant house, you know, our nice house we bought in 2001 and, uh, you know, we're taken care of. So. 
That's awesome, man. So only a few weeks ago, you were on your deathbed because of COVID-19. And I want to I want to hear the full story on here. But before we before we get into that, what was your what was your first what were your first reactions when this all hit? Where were you? What 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 went through your head and how were you impacted immediately? So it was late February, early March when really everything started hitting and all the news was coming out and you know, Wuhan was getting getting pegged pretty well over there in China. Um and the minute I saw it, Michael, my wife said I became a different person. I didn't realize this. And I'm, I'm trying to think back and trying to retrace all these steps. But there's a lot of things in my mind that are kind of blurred and I'm still trying to put together. There's some weird things that I did right when I was sick. I didn't even know, you know, and I can explain those when I get into the story. But um, I was scared, Michael, like right off the bat, just scared, scared. And if you know me as a person, for the people that do know me, I'm not scared of anything. I mean, I just, if there's a wall, I'm going to go through it. You know, one point in my life, I fought MMA, you know, with uh, Stipe Miocic, who's a heavyweight champion, was one of my sparring partners. You know, he was one of the guys kicking my ass every week, you know. Um, and my wife said there was just this fear about me. And I was watching the news all the time. Okay, uh, gut check here. Daryl doesn't watch the news. I'm the first person to tell you, stop, get away from that. Do something productive. Go, you know, be physically active you know, listen to a podcast that you can learn something from, read a book, do something other than watch the news because it's just negativity and fear driving. And, and here I am glued to everything about COVID this whole time before I even got sick. And not only that, Michael, I became one of these people. I kind of, I kind of prepared for what was coming. It's almost like I knew, but I don't know. I don't know how you could drive it or say it, but it's like, I got the house prepped in case something were to happen to me. Like specifically, it felt like it was coming for me. Um, we got medicines from doctors that I knew might help in the case, you know, with a, a nebulizer and, and, you know, the, the, the stuff that goes into the nebulizer. I got prescriptions for that from my asthma doctor. And even though I don't have asthma, I have allergies. So he gives me shots every couple of weeks. Um, you know, I got a Z-pack from my physician. What do I need a Z-pack for? I don't even take Tylenol or Advil. Um, stocked the house up, sent my advisor on my board down to my mill by himself because I told the, the Amish, I'm not coming down. You know, I could be a carrier of this thing when it all starts. And it was literally at that time in Holmes County where it's located, there was zero cases at the time. I didn't want to be the guy that goes down there and wipes out the whole Amish community. So and I said, I'm not going down. So I sent my advisor, who's also from, from the country up in Michigan, though. He went down and we changed the way we do business. Like, why did I do this right before I got sick? I can't tell you all these things, you know, and, and I even prepared when when the government called out for disaster loans and things like that. Um, that's one thing. When I did get sick, I was applying for the disaster loan, the EIDL. I don't even remember doing it, Michael, at the end. Damn. Like guys on my floor told me they heard me vacuuming in the office a couple of days before I went into the hospital. And they said I avoided everybody. They're like, thank you, Daryl. You didn't come near us. Normally you come say hi. You know, you come chat for a while. They said, you ran by, you went and did, we could hear vacuums running after about half hour. And they said, you were out of here. Didn't even say goodbye. And they said, we, we thought it was weird. And then we found out what happened to you. So then what happened? Um, so it was actually March 24th. Um, and it was funny because my wife's grandmother, who's kind of the matriarch of their family, there's like a hundred and plus of them. They're all from Chile. They all live within like 10 minutes of us. Really, really tight knit family. Very good family. And uh, her mother had gotten pneumonia and it was uh, uh, influenza B. 
And so she was in the hospital right before I got sick. So we went to go see her and I was really nervous. I kept telling everybody there was even a family member came back from Chile. I said, you shouldn't even be going in there. You've been on airplanes. You could have had international travel. Like I was freaked out. And so then we got her to go home, but she's 86 years old. So she needed help. And so we all signed up, you know, some of us grandkids, I'm you know, married to her granddaughter. I had even signed up to take care of her um, the day after I got sick. Well, that was on Wednesday, March 25th was my turn to go in and care for her. Well, Tuesday, March 24th, I started getting symptoms, uh, chills, fevers, uh, very, very strong headaches, pressure in the head, um, and a little bit of a cough. And, you know, Tuesday night, I kind of slept for a little bit, and I was really bad shape. And my wife said, maybe you shouldn't go tomorrow. And I said, no, let's not risk it. I don't know what I'm coming down with. Let's just let's call it off for tomorrow. So somebody else is going to have to fill in for me. Was there anything in your head saying, man, maybe I have this at that point? Yeah, first thing I thought of when when it happened was like, Oh man, it's coming. It's yeah. coming, Michael. And I, I, it's like I knew. And what's funny is my wife and I, within the, the first 24 hours, we had a discussion. And just, you know, I always say things to her, like kind of foreshadowing. I'm a person that likes to look ahead. I like to prepare for the worst, but expect the best. And I told her, Claudia, if I do go under the ventilator, and she was like, what? What are you talking about? And I said, I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. And at that point, you heard the numbers. Everybody was like, oh, that's a death wish. You get, you know, you get put on ventilation and innovation. It was like, you know, less than 50-50. And why I even said that, I have no clue. Um, so that was just odd. But I was just being an odd person for those 30 days, you know, once I got sick. And um, so it wasn't until Thursday, March 26th, we called our family physician, right? And at that point, they had said no unnecessary, unless it was, you know, emergency, no visit. So we were expecting a telehealth. Well, no one ever called me back. We ended up leaving a message with the nurse, mm -hmm. you know, please call us back. You know, I'm getting these symptoms. We think it might be, we get tested because at that point they weren't testing anybody over 61 or without pre-existing conditions. So I wasn't going to get tested. Well, then Sunday of that week. So I fought it from Thursday or Tuesday till Sunday, Sunday, the 29th, my wife's like, that's it. We're going to go to the local emergency room and see what's going on with you. And we thought at that point, because I was starting to wheeze and I, I had pneumonia like five years ago, walking pneumonia. And so I know what that crackling popping sound is. And I thought I had it. And I'm like, shoot, Claudia, I think I have pneumonia. She did too. So she took me to the emergency room. I was there 45 minutes. They took a chest x-ray, no pneumonia, but they saw I was in bad shape. They said, go home. We're going to write an order for you tomorrow to go get tested. And that was downtown. So Monday, March 30th, I drive downtown Cleveland. You know, they gave me an order to go because you couldn't go unless you had an order. And it was this underground garage, Michael. And it was unbelievably crazy. Like pulling into this thing, hazmat suits, like something out of a movie, like uh, Outbreak. Really? You know, like white suits, you know, with the, 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 the big she head shields and tent set up and you would pull up to the first monitor so the police would direct you into the garage your underground garage and i get to this first monitor there's a stop sign and there's a monitor to my right where i pull roll down my or i didn't roll down my window it says don't roll down your window so the first stop wasn't and it tells you dial this number i dial the number and uh mr chahon um like yeah they're like we just checked your license plates could you verify your you know birth date you know, a, everything. And I was like, okay, so I did. So security number. Okay. Move up to the next station and you'll get the next instructions. Once again, to another screen. And it just basically tells you what's about to happen. You read off the screen and it's like, when you pull up, put it in park, 
um, roll down your window, await for them to come over, you know, and it was so basically rolled down my window. They came over with the big swab. They go up your nose and that hurts like, oh, my God, 10 seconds. And they count down. And I'm like, oh, and she's like, I know it hurts. I know it hurts. It'll be done over real soon. So they get that done. Um, so then I go home because you don't know for another 24 to 48 hours. Well, the next day and, you know, I have this thing where you can go. It's called my chart on University or Cleveland Clinic. And so I go look, I logged in and it said you have a message positive for coronavirus and i'm like oh great you know maybe i'm be one of the lucky ones just hopefully doesn't you know i can ride this out that night it really really got bad mm -hmm. i just couldn't breathe anymore uh the fevers were running over 106 degrees my wife's like that's it we're gonna take you to the to the hospital not the emergency room this time Damn. 106 and she had towels on me and everything so i go um, and she didn't want to take me what we talked about afterwards. We've had long lengthy discussions about this whole process and what we both have gone through. Um, and she was like, Daryl, I, I, I didn't want to take you. I just, I wanted to drive back cause I knew I wouldn't be allowed to be in there with you. And I just wanted to drive back and see if we could ride this out at home. But she mm -hmm. goes, you were just in bad shape. So I get there. Um, and literally, you know, they don't even let her in. They don't let her out of the car. Everything. She was in the waiting room with me and they're like, you can't go any further. And uh, she gave me a charger for my phone because I had nothing. I had my phone. I had my clothes. And she's like, here, honey. And so I go in. And they put me in a part of the hospital where there was other COVID patients, but they were obviously not nice to you yet. So no need for intubation or it wasn't, you know, a little bit further uh, accelerated. Um, within a couple days, so they gave me the hydrochloroquine, which uh, is also known as another name, Placanone, which is given to lupus patients. Um, but the reaction it had with me was just not good. Like immediately my, my, my oxygen levels, you know, my blood oxygen levels would go down. My breathing was getting worse as I was trying to test it on that little, you know, tube you blow the little balls on. Um, things just got worse over two days. So they stopped, but it was that second day, um, where, you know, uh, it was Friday night slash Saturday morning, uh, that weekend where these alarms just went off in the room. I'd never heard anything like it. And, you know, lights and sirens. And the next thing I know, I had five nurses and two doctors in the, in the room with me, you know, throwing me onto a gurney face down, you know, asked me to get my wife on the cell phone, which they did. And as we're running down the hallway, heading to ICU, because it was in another part of the hospital, you know, they put her on the phone and, you know, they asked, Hey, Daryl, will you give your wife permission? you know, over all your affairs as we put you in innovation. And I'm like, yes. And then on the other line, I have my wife basically asking me, Hey, honey, 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 how are you? What do you feel? Are you okay? Um, you know, to my only answer to her was listen, Claudia, I'm finally going to get some rest and don't worry about me. I'll be back. Damn. So, you know, that was, yeah. That, and she, that night she had a panic attack. I mean, just not being able to see me, not knowing what was going to happen if I was going to come back. Um, she didn't sleep all night. She thought she was getting COVID, you know, through the panic attack, not being able to sleep, having trouble breathing. Yeah. Um, and then our family doctor the next day, you know, prescribed her some medicine that she could sleep, some sleeping pills, Ambien, so she could sleep. And, you know, that's where she started relaxing and, you know, just started focusing on, okay, what are the good news? What's changing? What's coming up? Got it. So, so, so then what happened, you know, I, I've been around, uh, my, my best friend was in a coma for a while. So I know that when they intubate you, they have to put, I think they have to put you in a medically induced coma, correct? 
Correct. Correct. Okay. So that's just uh, like a, it's like a deep sleep. You don't remember. I, I'm assuming you don't remember anything from being in a coma. No, no. And, and so I have to, I go back to the notes because so my wife basically to update everyone, you know, all my friends, family, she didn't realize how many people that I knew, you know, cause she's a very private reserved person. And then all the family that she had all around the world reaching out, it was too overwhelming. So she started putting posts on Facebook once a day as updates because she would only talk to the doctors and or nurses at the hospital twice a day. And so she put an update for everybody to know. And so I go through those to see what happened every day that I was in intubation, which was six days total. Um, but the first day was the most uh, remarkable, Michael. And this is what I contribute or attribute to. Are you Both talking about fitness. the first day, the first day that you were intubated or out of it? Yes. Yes. Okay. The first day that I was intubated and, and I can, I only know this story because I see what's, what's sure. been said and what happened on Facebook. But so I went into intubation and my lungs had failed. And at that point my kidneys failed and I was starting to have heart failure. Um, so they had to try to put me under dialysis that first night that I was in intubation and they tried to put a tube. Um, or I guess the line in my neck. Well, it was clotting severely, so they couldn't get the the line into my neck. So they had to wait a day, and then they ended up going through my femoral vein um, down to my leg. But um, that first day, I went from 0% lung capacity and 100% ventilator to 60% lung capacity and 40% ventilator in the first 24 hours. Wow. They call when she called and they finally, you know, they didn't get back to her for a while because it was just back and forth, back and forth. And they said, look, the doctors were like, we don't know what's going on here. We've never seen anything like this, but this is great news. His lungs are starting to work and they're starting to kick back in again. You know, now it's just wait and watch and it might be sooner than we thought. So, you know, like they said, they've never seen it. And then I've asked other doctors since then. And they're like, Daryl, that's almost impossible one day you know, to get back 60% of your lung capacity. And I, I attribute that obviously to the fitness levels, you know, the training within CrossFit, you know, we're doing these short bursts, you know, you're on these machines, you know, the, the skier, the biker, the row machine, where you take yourself to points where you can't breathe, where you're red in the face, you know, where you're pulling so hard, you're hurting. That's the only thing I can say, Michael. And then, you know, the nutrition being with, you know, working against gravity and Ali for two years, if it weren't for those things, how do I, how do you get that rebound so quick? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where everybody says it's impossible. It's impossible. That's the only thing I can say it is. Um, now are you expecting Dave Castro to reach out with an invite as uh, for you being the wild card to the next CrossFit games? <laughs> 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 no, 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 not at all. I, I know how good of an athlete I am. Um, you know, I know one day I do want to go to the games as a Masters, but uh, no, 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 no. I would not even compare to those guys. Not even close. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, man. Keep going. That's funny. And did you say? So no, you said? Did what did you call your coach? Uh, what what uh, name did Phil? you say? No, no, no. Wag coach. Oh. Oh, Ali. Ali. Is it A-L-I? Yeah. It's Ali. Um, <laughs> it's Ali. Like, Ali, Ali Karen. So that's, <laughs> yes. what I, that's what I call it. I'm going to start calling her Ali. 
<laughs> like, like Muhammad Ali now. Yes. Oh my God, that is amazing. Okay. Um, okay. So you get back 60% of your lung capacity and you're yeah. using the ventilator for only 40% of the oxygen that's coming in. Then what happens? Um, so that was, so that was Saturday, Sunday, um, by Thursday, they wanted to pull me off of the, uh, the ventilator. They thought that it was a point, you know, they had still been running me on dialysis, but if things were getting better, they had pulled me off of the ventilator wasn't pushing anymore. So I was getting hundred percent oxygen to my lungs. Um, so they thought there was the time on, you know, uh, Thursday night. So the night before good Friday to pull me off, um, which they did. I don't remember coming to, I guess they were talking to me. I was lucid. I was, you know, I was, uh, responding to questions and directions that I don't remember really anything until Friday morning. Um, I just know that Friday morning, you know, so early, late Thursday night, early Friday morning, I have a surgeon in my room and, and he's like, Hey Daryl, how are you? I'm Dr. So-and-so. And, uh, I need to pull this dialysis line out of your femoral artery. And I need to warn you, it's going to hurt really bad. And I'm, you know, this is the first I recall of anything. And I'm like, uh, okay, you know, I'm, I don't know what to say, you know, and they would ask me, where are you at? Do you know why you're here? And yeah, I'm in the hospital. Yes, yes, yes. And so uh, he goes, okay, here we go. And so he reaches down, down to my leg, closer to my groin and pulls this line out, Michael. And I'm supposed to be under tremendous amounts of painkiller. And it hurts so bad. I screamed. And the next thing he does is he puts both hands over where he pulled the line out of because you could bleed out pretty quickly, mm -hmm. you know, from just the blood coming out of that femoral artery. Well, he's holding on and I'm looking at the clock. Okay, now this is the, the CrossFit clock watcher in me. Five minutes goes by. Another five minutes goes by. Now we're at 15 minutes and I'm like, hey, doc, how much longer? He goes, it should only be about 10 minutes more, you know, and then we should be able to get the, the bleeding to stop. 10 minutes goes by. Now we're at 25. We're at 30. We're at 40. What? I'm like, Doc, what's going on? Yeah. And he goes, just a couple more minutes. Just at about an hour, he calls a male nurse in who's right outside. You know, basically, he's just like waving him over. Male nurse comes in, big boy, by the way, and slams his hands down even further. The doctor's like, hey, I'm getting tired. I need you to put pressure on this. So he's like, I don't know if we're going to get it to stop bleeding. He goes, we might have to go to sandbags. And I'm like, sitting here listening to this, I'm going, what is going on? So they couldn't get me to stop. Two hours later, they finally had to, uh, they use these sandbags, Mike. They look like bricks. And they put them in pillowcases. And they basically laid 20 pounds of sand wow. on near my groin on my leg to get me to stop. And yeah. they were just constantly watching me, you know, to make sure that it was that it was actually stopping and starting to clot. Yeah. Um, that, that was crazy because that hurt so bad. And, you know, even a couple of days afterwards, I was afraid to even touch down. Like you have this weird feeling oh. and you look at it and you're like, I don't even want to touch oh. this thing. No. Yeah. What if I cut it right back open? So, um, you know, that was that was uh, good Friday or the Friday that week. And um, it was Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, so late morning, early afternoon, that they actually pulled me out to take me down to that original part of the uh, hospital mm -hmm. that I was in when I first got checked in. Um, and that's where I saw Michael. So the couple nights that I was awake, so let's say, you know, Friday morning, Saturday morning was miserable because I couldn't sleep. So I didn't sleep at all. And all I can see out the window in my room is nurses and doctors like every, you know, at least once an hour, maybe once every half hour, 
just running down the hallways. You'd see them disappear. You'd hear people screaming. You'd hear alarms going off. And then they're running back down with a body on a gurney. And you're going, what is going on? And I would ask the nurses, like every time a nurse came in, I'm like, did somebody die yet? You know, that, that was my first question. And they're like, no, nobody's died. And, and the fact was that nobody did die while I was there. But they had to either be intubating people or resuscitating people or doing some sort of procedure, you know, to make sure that they kept breathing and going. Mm -hmm. So that was brutal. Um, you know, the fact so that I, I didn't you, know. Can I ask you a quick question about that Thursday? So you, you come mm -hmm. back out of this coma. What are you, what were your first thoughts and feelings as you realized you were going to live? And maybe that wasn't until Friday or whenever that you thought that, but what, what was that like? No, you're, you're absolutely. No, it's a great question. Um, there was a, a few thoughts in my head. Number one, my concern was for my wife and my son that lived with me at home. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, man, if I'm this sick, what's, what's Claudia going through? You know, is she, is she okay? I haven't talked to her. I don't know. How, I didn't even know how long I had been in, in intubation. So I didn't realize, you know, I'm looking at dates and I'm trying to figure out when did I come to the hospital and everything. I'm like, man, I hope she's okay. I haven't heard from her. Nobody said anything to me. I hope she's not in the hospital. You know, my son, Chris, is he okay? And then, and then my mind quickly goes to, oh my God, you know, like my business, I have the sawmill and I'm the guy, the key guy. I'm the one that makes all the cash calls and has access to the bank accounts and what's going on there. And did they close me down? And that's, you know, lots of families that aren't going to get paid and taken care of and all our vendors and, you know, our, our subcontractors, our loggers and truckers and so I had no clue. So that's all that's running through my mind is I can't sleep and I'm wide awake, Michael. And I realize I'm going to live. And, and I, at that point, I asked God to take me. I just said, take me. I'm done. I'm, this is too much. I have, you know, I have all this life insurance, you know, for key man for business. Just take me. My family will be fine. Everybody will be better off without me. You know, it was it was too unbearing the the unknowing and the pain that I was going through. I just I didn't want to be there. I was like, just take me, and it wouldn't. Go, I, I wasn't going anywhere. I couldn't even sleep, and so you know, I attribute that there was lots of people, prayer chains all over the world. You know, I didn't didn't even realize how many people cared or knew about me or, you know, respected me or, or had anything to do with me. Um, and and I joke around now and I tell them, all oh, you guys prayed for me and I'm here now and now you got to deal with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, thanks, you know, thanks for everybody that prayed and cared and sent good thoughts because my belief is without the power of prayer, I don't get out of there alive, you know, because I, I prayed for death. I was mm -hmm. praying for my own death while everybody else was praying for me to come out. Okay. Wow. So how has uh, this experience changed your perspective on life? Uh, it's funny you ask, I'm just. I keep asking why me, why me? And this weekend I had a couple, you know, friends have family members that I don't know personally, but they passed away because of COVID. And I talked to my, I have a, I have a strength, mental strength coach that I have now on top of, you know, my physical therapist, my counselor, you know, my nutritionist, or my whole team that I have with me. And, um, she's gone through, uh, she has, uh, there's a, this, an illness of disease she has of the lungs um, that she has, that she's lived longer than most average patients would. And so the first thing she told me, Daryl, is, look, this is not uncommon for you to feel um, strange or, you know, feel uh, guilty to be alive or to have gone through this. 
And she goes, but what are you going to do with it now? And I said, well, I've been thinking about it. You know, I don't know what my purpose here is. Obviously, there's a purpose if I'm here. I truly believe things happen for a reason. Um, but the two things I did decide, you know, after this weekend and really going through this the last four weeks of my mind is if I'm not making my life better and the people around me on a daily basis, I've wasted time. Then I shouldn't even be here. I mean, if I have this opportunity, this, this renewal of life, I need to make somebody's life better or improve myself or both at the same time. So that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to do now, or as I look at things now. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I've, I've thought about this quite a bit in my life and the, what, what I currently believe is what we choose to do, right? Like what our career is, the, the things that you could see on a camera, right? The things that we're actually doing out in the world, they don't matter nearly as much as how we do them, right? It doesn't matter if you go and start a new business that's more fulfilling or has a bigger impact or, or anything like that. I think what matters is how we carry ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis, how we treat our inner circle, um, how we treat every person that we interact with. And that, that stuff, we don't have to know, we don't have to have direction or know what we like, quote unquote, know what we want to do with our lives. We can access that immediately, right? We can just look people in the eyes, give them our presence and treat them a little bit better. Try to lift them up. If we, you know, if we feel inspired and have the energy to do so on that day. Um, I find that really like comforting. No, I absolutely, I agree with you, Mike. I mean, the one thing, you know, so I'm kind of a low, I consider myself kind of a loner. I'm a guy that runs on my own. You know, I've got this business, I've got this family that I feel I've done a great job with and we've kept it together for 25 years and two boys that are, you know, they don't, I don't even know why they belong to me because they're so good in my mind. Mm. And I'm so proud of them, but, um, obviously I've done something right. And the neighborhood stepping behind me, I mean, like coming home, and the neighbors line the streets. You know, we have this live in this little small bungalow here in, you know, middle class America in a suburb of Cleveland. And the streets were lined with all my neighbors with pots and pans and welcome home signs and everybody wow. banging on them and cars beeping on the street. And I was just, I mean, I was overwhelmed. I was just like, wow. And I don't even know half of these people. But because I do take the time or say hello or try to spend, but I don't, I don't give enough time, if that makes sense, because I'm always running. I'm always on to the next thing, you know. I'm trying to make the CrossFit games. I'm trying to make my business better. I'm trying to give the time to my family, but I mean, there's so much more. There's so much more we can do. Amen. Amen, man. Yeah. That, that resonates with me so hard. I I've really, one thing I've talked about, about quite a bit since being in isolation is how much I love the simplicity and the pace of life right now. And it's given me like the, the lack of the lack of decisions, right? There are so many decisions that I don't have to make anymore. Like, do I want to go and hang out with X, Y, or Z friend? Do I want to go to a restaurant? I don't have to make those decisions because those haven't been options for a while. <laughs> and because of that, I'm able to pour more energy into being present with the people around me and to reaching out to people and to spending more, I guess, being more present with myself as well, right? I'm not constantly rushing to the next thing. 
And it's been yep. really, it's yep. been a really special time. And I just, I, it's so important that I remember this. And I think if, you know, anyone listening, if that resonates with you, it's so important that we remember these insights and lessons that the universe is sending us right now, right? We're, this is one of the most, this is, this may be the most intense, unique experience that we ever go through. And we're likely yep. having a different perspective on our life and the world. And there's a lot of valuable shit coming to the surface. So it's really important that we remember this and we do something about it. Absolutely. No, it's funny. You bring you bring a thought to mind, Michael, that I've always said in my life, the best things I've done or the best results I've had. And there's a saying for this. And it says sometimes the best results or the best decisions are made when you have no options. So sometimes we have to have no options to make the right decision. Mm. Mm. I love it, man. So as we as we begin closing here, if you had one, if you could give one lesson or impart one lesson or one piece of wisdom on everyone listening to the show, something that you really embody in your life, or maybe it's something that's come up as a result of, of your story uh, with COVID, what would that be? What would that lesson be? Um, the, well, so a couple of things I'm going to branch it off. I'm going to jump Please do. kind of violate your question. The first one would be, uh, fitness and nutrition. You know, we don't realize how important it is. And for 40 years I had the worst nutrition, you know, wasn't taught properly. And then here, you know, a couple of years ago I joined WAG and, and really start to learn. And it's a battle to this day, to this day, I still fight it, but because of the improvements, I think it's helped me get to where I'm at fitness wise, also really pushing as a, as a competitive crossfitter for the last two years and training so much and really in, in focusing an intentional training, it's helped me. Um, and the other piece that I've learned with all the people around me that I didn't know and have been so supportive and all these communities I'm a part of that now I have, I realize who my friends are and who I can count on. Um, Never take for granted the people around you. As little time as you might spend with them, as little as you might see them, you don't know what they're going through or just the fact that a simple hello or how are you today or what's going on might mean to that person. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate being on here. Thanks for joining us. Stay in touch by signing up for our newsletter at workingagainstgravity.com or on Instagram at workingagainstgravity. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and refer a friend. We'll be back next week with another episode. Talk to you then.